Chapter Thirteen of the Wheat Princess by Jean Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The drops were falling fast by the time they reached the building. They hastily dismounted and pushed forward to the wide stone archway which served as an entrance. A door of rudely joined boards swung across the opening, but it was ajar and banging in the wind. Sybert threw it open and led the horses into the gloomy interior. It proved to be a wine cellar, probably belonging to the monastery. The room was low but deep, with a dirt floor and rough masonry walls. In the rear, two huge vats rose dimly to the roof, and the floor was scattered with farming implements. The air was damp and musty and pungent with the smell of fermenting grape-juice. Sybert fastened the horses to a low beam by means of their bridles, while Marcia sat down upon a plough and pensively regarded the landscape. He presently joined her. "'This is not a very cheerful refuge,' he remarked. "'But at least it is drier than the open road.' She moved along and offered him part of her seat. "'I think I can improve on that,' he said, as he rummaged out a board from a pile of lumber and fitted it at a somewhat precarious slope across the plough. They gingerly sat down upon it, and Marcia observed, "'I suppose if you had your way, Mr. Sybert, we should be sitting on a McCormick Reaper.' "'It would at least be more comfortable,' he returned. The rain was beating fiercely by this time, and the lightning flashes were following each other in quick succession. Black clouds were rolling inland from across the Volscian mountains, and piling layer upon layer above their heads. Marcia sat watching the gathering storm, and presently she exclaimed, "'This might be a situation out of a book. To be overtaken by a thunderstorm in the Sabine Mountains and seek shelter in a deserted wine-cellar. It sounds like one of the Duchess's novels.' "'It does have a familiar ring,' he agreed. "'It only remains for you to sprain your ankle.' She laughed softly, with an undertone of excitement in her voice. "'I've never had so many adventures in my life as since we came out to Villa Vivalanti. Marcellus and Gervasio, and Gervasio's stepfather, and now a cloudburst in the mountains. If they're going to rise to a climax, I can't imagine what our stay will end with.' henry james you know says that the only adventures worth having are intellectual adventures marcia considered this proposition doubtfully in an intellectual adventure she objected you could never be quite sure that it really was an adventure you'd always be afraid you'd imagined half of it i think i prefer mine more visibly exciting there's something picturesque in a certain amount of real bloodshed sybert turned his eyes away from her with a gesture of indifference oh if it's merely bloodshed you're after he said dryly you'll find as much as you like in any butcher's shop she watched him for a moment and then she observed i suppose you are disagreeable on purpose mr sybert you have a-she hesitated for a word and as none presented itself substituted a generic term horrid way of answering a person he turned toward her with a laugh if i really thought you meant it i should have a still horrider way certainly i mean it she declared i've always liked to read about fights and plots and murders in books i think it's nice to have a little blood spattered about it's a sort of concrete symbol of courage ah i saw a concrete symbol of courage the other day but i can't say that it struck me as attractive what was it a fellow lying by the roadside in a pool of dirty water and blood with his mouth wide open a couple of stiletto wounds in his neck and his brains spattered over his face brains may be useful but they're not pretty she looked at him gravely with a slow expression of disgust 
i suppose you think i'm horrider than ever now yes said marcia i do then don't make any such absurd statement as that you think bloodshed picturesque the world's got beyond that do you object if i smoke i don't think it would hurt this place to have a bit of fumigating she nodded permission and watched him silently as he rolled a cigarette and hunted through his pockets for a match the coat did not reward his search and he commenced on the waistcoat suddenly she broke out with what's that in your pocket mr sybert a momentary shade of annoyance flashed over his face it's a dynamite bomb it's a revolver what are you carrying that for it's against the law don't tell the police he pleaded i've always liked to play with firearms it's a habit i've never outgrown why are you carrying it she repeated sybert found his match and lighted his cigarette with slow deliberation then he rose to his feet and looked down at her you ask too many questions miss marcia he said and he commenced pacing back and forth the length of the dirt floor she remained with her elbow resting on her knee and her chin in her hand looking out at the storm presently he came back and sat down again is our amnesty off he asked before she could open her mouth to respond a fierce white flash of lightning came followed instantly by a deafening crash of thunder a torrent of water came pouring down on the loose tiles with a roar that sounded like a cannonading the air seemed quivering with electricity the horses plunged and snorted in terror and sybert sprang to his feet to quiet them jove it is a cloudburst he cried marcia ran to the open doorway and stood looking out across a storm-swept valley the water was coming down in an almost solid sheet the clouds hung low and black and impenetrable except when a jagged line of lightning cut them in two from the height across the valley the tall square monastery tower rose defiantly into the very midst of the storm while the cypress trees at its base swathed and writhed and wrung their hands in agony sybert came and stood beside her and the two watched the storm in silence there he suddenly flashed out with a little undertone of triumph in his voice there is italy he nodded toward the old walls rising so staunchly from the storm that's the way the italians have weathered tyranny and revolution and oppression for centuries and that's the way they will keep on doing she looked up at him quickly and caught a gleam of something she had never seen before in his face it was as if an internal fire were blazing through for an imperceptible second he held her look then his eyelids drooped again and his usual expression of reserve came back come and sit down he said you're getting wet they turned back to the plough again and sat side by side looking out at the storm the beating of the rain on the tiles above their heads made a difficult accompaniment for conversation and they did not try to talk but they were electrically aware of each other's presence the wild excitement of the storm had taken hold of both of them marcia's breath came fast through slightly parted lips her cheeks were flushed her hair was tumbled and there was a yellow glow in her deep grey eyes her face seemed to vivify the gloomy interior sybert glanced at her sidewise once or twice in half surprise she did not seem exactly the person he had thought he knew her hand lay in her lap idly clasping her gloves and whip it looked white and soft against her black habit suddenly marcia asked a question will you tell me something mr sybert i am at your service he bowed and the truth oh certainly the truth 
she glanced down in her lap a moment and smoothed the fingers of her gloves in a thoughtful silence well she said finally i don't know after all what i want to ask you but there is something in the air that i don't understand tell me the truth about italy the truth about italy he repeated the words with a slight accent of surprise last week in rome at the royston's hotel everybody was talking about the wheat famine and the bread riots and they all stopped suddenly when i asked any questions uncle howard will never tell me a thing he just jokes about it when i ask him he's afraid said sybert no one dares to tell the truth in italy it's les majesté she glanced up at him quickly to see what he meant his face was quite grave but there was a disagreeable suggestion of a smile about his lips she looked out of doors again with an angry light in her eyes oh i think you are beastly she cried you and uncle howard both act as if i were ten years old i don't think that a wheat famine is any subject to joke about miss marcia he said quietly when things get to a certain point if you wish to keep your senses you can't do anything but joke about them tell me she said there was a look of troubled expectancy in her face sybert half closed his eyes and studied the ground without speaking not very many days before he had felt a fierce desire to hurl the story at her to confront her with a picture of the suffering that her father had caused now he felt as strongly as her uncle that she must not know since you cannot do anything to help why should you wish to understand there are so many unpleasant things in the world and so many of us already who know about them it's he turned toward her with a little smile but one which she did not resent well it's a relief you know to see a few people who accept their happiness as a free gift from heaven and ask no questions i am not a baby i should not care to accept happiness on any such terms and you want to know about italy very well he said grimly i can give you plenty of statistics he leaned forward with his elbows on his knees and traced lines in the dirt floor with his whip speaking in the emotionless tone of one who is quoting a list from a catalogue the poor people bear three-fourths of the taxes every necessity of life is taxed bread and salt and meat and utensils but such things as carriages and servants and jewels go comparatively free when the government has squeezed all it can from the people the church takes its share and then the government comes in again with the state lotteries the latin races are already sufficiently addicted to gambling without needing any extra encouragement from the state part of the revenue thus collected is spent in keeping up the army in training the young men of the country in idleness and in great many things they would do better without part of it goes to build arcades and fountains and statues of victor emmanuel the most of it stops in official pockets you may think that politics are as corrupt as they can be in america but i assure you it is not the case in italy the priests won't let the people vote and the parliament is run in the interests of a few the people are ignorant and superstitious more than half of them can neither read nor write and the government exploits them as it pleases the farm labourer earns only from twenty-five to thirty cents a day to support himself and his family fortunately living is cheap or there would soon not be any farm labourers alive last year he paused and an angry flush crept under his dark skin last year in lombardy venetia and the marshes three of the most fertile provinces in italy fifteen thousand people went mad from hunger 
the children of these pellegrosi will be idiots and cripples and ten years from now you will find them on the steps of churches holding out maimed hands for coppers at this present moment there are ten thousand people in naples crowded into damp caves and cellars practically all of them stricken with consumption and scrofula and sick with hunger he leaned forward and looked into her face with blazing eyes marcia in this last week i've seen god he burst out what things i've seen he got up and strode to the door and marcia sat looking after him with frightened eyes the air seemed charged with his words she felt herself trembling and she caught her breath quickly with a half gasp she closed her eyes and pictures rose up before her pictures she did not wish to see she thought of the hordes of poor people in castel vivalanti of the bony wrinkled hands that were stretched out for coppers at every turn of the crowds of children with hungry faces she thought of the houses that they lived in wretched little dens dark and filthy and damp and it wasn't their fault she repeated to herself it wasn't their fault they were honest and frugal they wanted work but there was not enough to go around she sat quite still for several moments feeling acutely a great many things she had scarcely divined before then presently she glanced over her shoulder at the great vats towering out of the darkness behind her they suddenly presented themselves to her imagination as a symbol a visible sign of the weight of society bearing down upon the poor crushing out goodness and happiness and hope as she watched them with half-fascinated eyes they seemed to swell and grow until they dominated the whole room with a sense of their oppressiveness she rose with a little shiver and almost ran to the door let's go she cried what's the matter he asked looking at her face nothing i want to go it stopped raining he let out the horses and helped her to mount what's the matter he asked again your hand is trembling did i say anything to frighten you she shook her head without answering and when they reached the road she drew a long breath of fresh air and glanced back with a nervous laugh i had the most horrible feeling in there i felt as if something were going to reach out from those vats and grab me from behind i think he suggested that you'd better take some of your aunt's quinine when you get home mr sybert she said presently i told you one day that i thought poor people were picturesque i don't think so any more i didn't suppose that you meant it but i did said marcia i've merely changed my mind she touched kentucky lil with her whip and splashed on ahead down the road that led to the monastery while sybert followed with a slightly perplexed frown the storm had passed as quickly as it had come loose flying clouds still darkened the sky but the heavy black thunderclouds were already far to the eastward over the apennines in its brief passage however the storm had left havoc behind it the vines in the wayside vineyards were stripped of their leaves and the bamboo poles they were trained upon broken and bent branches torn from the olive trees were strewn over the grass and in the wheat-fields the young grain was bowed almost to the ground a fierce mountain torrent poured down the side of the road through a gully that an hour before had been dry the mountain air was fresh and keen and the horses excited by the storm plunged on recklessly irrespective of mud and water they crossed the little valley that lay between the hill of the wine-cellar and the higher hill of the monastery clattered through the single street of the tiny hamlet which huddled itself at the base of the hill and wound on upward along the narrow walled roadway that turned and unturned upon itself like the coils of a serpent 
they passed through the dark grove of cypresses that skirted the outer walls and emerged for a moment on a small plateau which gave a wide view of receding hills and valleys and hills again below them at a precipitous angle lay the valley they had just come through and the clustering brown tiled roofs of the little noah's ark village as they rode out from the shadow of the trees by a common impulse they both drew rein and brought their horses to a standstill at the edge of the grove away to the eastward the sky was black but the western sky was a blaze of orange light and the sun an orange ball was dropping into the purple campagna as into a sea the shadows were settling in the valley beneath them but the hills were tinged with a shimmering light and the tower above their heads was glowing in a sombre softened beauty they had scarcely had time however to more than glance at the widespread picture before them when they became aware of a little human drama that was being enacted under their eyes a young monk in the brown cassock of the franciscans probably a lay brother in the monastery was standing in the vineyard by the roadside resting for a moment from his task of tying up the vines that had been beaten down by the storm he had not seen the riders his back was turned toward them and his gaze was resting on the field across the way where scarlet poppies were growing among the wheat but his eyes were not for the flowers nor yet for the light on the hills beyond these he had seen before and understood he was watching a dark-haired peasant girl and a man dressed in shepherd's clothes who were strolling side by side along the narrow pathway that led diagonally through the wheat the man strong-limbed and brown and muscular in sheepskin trousers and pointed hat was bending toward her talking insistently with vehement italian gestures she appeared to listen and then she shrugged her shoulders and half drew back while her mocking laugh rang out clearly on the still evening air for a moment he hesitated then he boldly put his arm around her and the two passed down the hill and out of sight in the direction of the hamlet the poor young freight his work forgotten with hands idly hanging at his sides stared at the spot where they had disappeared and as he looked the monastery bells in the campanile above him slowly rang out the ave maria he started guiltily and with a hasty sign of the cross caught up his rosary and bowed his head in prayer at the unexpected sound of the bells the horses broke into a quick trot the monk startled at the clatter of hoofs so near turned suddenly and looked in their direction as he caught sight of marcia's and sybert's eyes upon him and knew that they had seen a quick flush spread over his thin dark face and turning away he bowed his head again marcia broke the silence with a low laugh as they rode on into the shade of the cypresses he thought we were and then she stopped lovers too said sybert poor devil i suppose he thinks the world is full of lovers outside his monastery walls there he added is a man who is living for an idea and is beginning to suspect that it is the wrong one he shot her a quick glance of comprehension ah there's the rub he returned a trifle soberly when you begin to suspect your idea is the wrong one they rode on down the hill into the darkening valley they were going the straight way home now and the horses knew it they were still in the hills when the twilight faded and a young moon just beyond the crescent took its place riding high in a sky scattered thick with flying clouds it was a wild wet windy night though on the lower levels the roads were fairly dry the storm had evidently wasted its furies on the heights it was too fast a pace to admit much talking and they both contented themselves with their thoughts only once did marcia break the silence i feel as if we were carrying the good news from ghent to aix sybert laughed and quoted softly 
behind shut the postern the lights sank to rest and into the midnight we galloped abreast not a word to each other we kept the great pace neck by neck stride by stride never changing our place kentucky lil would make quite a roland he broke off she's the nicest horse i ever rode said marcia as they turned in at the villa gates she said contritely i didn't know it would take so long i'm afraid mr sybert that i've made you very late perhaps i like adventures too he smiled and you and i miss marcia have travelled far to-day chapter thirteen